Wasn't that a delight to see that video? You know, being around here, the uh, building during the week, it's just can't put into words the joy you see among the children running up and down the halls and laughing. And I had a similar experience yesterday. We had a wedding at, of all places, the zoo, the Tulsa Zoo. And uh, I pray that the fact that you know, we were in an environment with bears and lions and tigers. That has nothing to do with the kind of marriage this is going to be. <laughs> but one thing that was joy to me, you know, I have four sons and a daughter. I have 11 grandsons, two granddaughters. I have some step-grandchildren. I have 22 great-grandchildren and three great-greats. And yesterday, how many of them were there, and especially the little kids, just run around all over everywhere. <laughs> I love to see children just that way innocence enjoying one another something's happened to me i don't do that anymore and uh, i don't know well the jason feathers was making the same comment that he's having the the very same issues he just doesn't run and frolic uh, like he used to <laughs> as i sought the lord in prayer this week just eager to hear from him as to what he want brought today and this is what I always do. I fervently seek the Lord, and as I did that, every time there was one topic that came forth consistently, a topic I'd like to avoid. Even so, in obedience to God this morning, I pray I'll be the channel through which he speaks on the topic of the great judgment morning. Look back over the records of TCF, and if my research is correct, it's been five years since there's been a message from this pulpit dealing with the Day of Judgment, and uh, yet the Lord has said to me, it's time to say it again. I don't know why. I don't know who this is for, but I know clearly this is the word God wants brought today. Judgment Day is something we just instinctively want to avoid, isn't it? Interesting, the life of Paul, you remember, he was arrested and went through one trial after another. And finally, when Festus, the procurator of Judea, got there, he had to appear before him. And he called Paul before to examine him. Acts twenty four twenty five. Paul was discussing what he had done, he said, as if discussing righteousness, self-control, and then, and the judgment to come, Felix became frightened and said, go away, <laughs> get this man out of here, I don't want to hear about the judgment, you know, that's a little bit like us, isn't it, <laughs> that's a topic I think we'd really like to avoid, but uh, we must say this as we probe the subject of the judgment, a verse that I've mentioned many times in the pulpit is very important to me Deuteronomy which says this 29 29 the secret things belong to Jehovah but the things that he has revealed to the sons of Jacob he has revealed them that they might obey them and when we get into the realm of the discussion of what happens when we die we get in the realm of the eternity the realm of the judgment, there's just a lot we don't know, and we deduce certain things from the Scripture, but we have to say we're not certain. Some people just can't handle that, can they? 
They have to cross every T and dot every I, and it drives them nuts if they can't. But there are certain things God has left vague. But what he wants us to know, he has made clear. This morning from the Word of God, we want to to know what God wants us to know about this subject. Admit what's speculation and admit, frankly, what we just don't know at all. You remember even when Jesus was ministering and some started to say, Lord, tell us about the day or the hour. Jesus said, it's not for you to know. These are things the Father's fixed in his own authority. And then he said, uh, you know, you receive power, do that, but you don't need to know all this other stuff. It's hard for us to say, God, why didn't you tell us? But he said, I've told you what you need to know. So God has revealed what we need to know. We're going to focus on some of those things this morning. One thing that has really clouded this whole issue is the fact that the King James translation did not distinguish between the word Hades and Gehenna. It rendered both of them as hell. They're not both hell. Hades, which we anglicize as Hades, is where we go when we die. That's where our spirits go. Hades represents where the spirits are waiting. And if we can use this language, it has two compartments. Paul, writing the Philippians, said, You know, it would be better for me to depart and be with Christ. Those who leave this life that are in Jesus enter that part of Hades, which is the very presence of Jesus Christ himself. And writing to Thessalonians, Paul said, when Christ comes again, he's going to bring with him all of those who have been with him in Hades waiting for that day. What a glorious thing to think that I can actually be in the presence of Jesus. A little bit earlier today, Bud Green and I were talking about age. You know, he's just a few weeks older than I am. I'm 91. He's almost 92 by now. If Jesus say, come home today, glory. <laughs> Let's go, bud. <laughs> but, of course, that's not God's will as yet for me. Maybe for him, but not for me. The other word, Gehenna, refers to the garbage dump south of Jerusalem in the valley of Hinnom. Now, today, we don't have garbage dumps like we used to. But when I was a boy, we did. Over northeastern edge of Muskogee, there was a garbage dump. And behind every uh, street, there was an alley in between the houses. And there'd be an old man always going up and down different parts of the town, different ones doing it, with an old wagon pulled by a mule and stop at every house and dump all the trash and the garbage and then finally go to the garbage dump and shovel it out. And there was a constant fire and a stench in that place. That was Muskogee's Gehenna, the garbage dump. And that's what Gehenna means. It's the, it is the eternal, everlasting fire that never ends. As Isaiah wrote, fire never goes out, the worm never dies, and so on. And that's the figure. That's the figure that is used in Scripture to describe the fate of the lost and so how wonderful it is to know that none of us need to go to that place. 
none of us need to go to that place. This morning, we want to talk about and recite and just read several verses from Scripture that speak of the judgment. Now, there, I, I, I did research and found 26 more verses referring to, referring to the day of judgment than those that we're going to recite this morning. So Scripture is very full of information about that day. First of all, it is an absolute certainty it will happen, and all will stand in judgment. Remember the book of uh, Romans said, Why do you judge your brother? Romans 14. Why do you regard one brother with contempt? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. Second Corinthians 5.10 We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Hebrews 9.37 Inasmuch as it has been appointed for men to die once, and after this comes the judgment. 1 Peter 4, 5, They shall give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And Hebrews 12, 13, describing that heavenly church of which all of us are already a part. And we come to the general assembly, the church of the firstborn who enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. And Jude one fifteen, to execute judgment upon all, to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly needs which they have done in an ungodly way, and the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. It's unavoidable. Every person who has ever walked upon this globe someday will appear before the judgment seat. You know, the parable of the sheep and the goats in Matthew 23 says the all the nations. Here's, we'll read it for you. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates his sheep from the goats. He'll place the sheep on his right hand, the goats on the left. Then the kings will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. As we've already said, you know, the many, many passages speak of the great day, but they also speak of the fate of those who are gloriously among the redeemed. Hebrews 10.5 speaks of those who are adversaries and 
so on and so on. But First John four seventeen, this is beautiful. By this, love is perfected in us that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Isn't that beautiful? Because as he is, so also are we in this world. We're going to note some more of those verses in a few minutes. The judgment that takes place on the great judgment day will not be casual. It'll not just be surface, but it will be very, very precise. Matthew twelve thirty six. I say to you that every careless word that men shall speak, they shall render account for it in the day of judgment. And Romans 2.16, that day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. You know, I don't know about you, but boy, self is so deceptive. What's really in my heart? Sometimes when I'm praying for someone who is sick and suffering, I have to ask myself, Jim, are you really praying that they'll be healed for their benefit or because the sorrow you're feeling over them is so great you want to be relieved of that? You know, to really know the truth about ourselves is difficult, but God knows the truth. Not only what we do, but what goes on in our heart is important. Matthew 5, 22, I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. Whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing shall be good for the court. Whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough for the fiery hell. It's talking about the heart. And you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman and has lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. He's going to be judged for that. If your right eye makes you stumble and so on and so on and so on. Therefore, don't go on passing judgment for the time. Wait for the Lord. You know, that's really something to think about, isn't it? What goes on in your heart and the thoughts sometimes that flow through our mind. This past week, I was at Walmart and had quite a few things I was buying, and I'd already at self-checkout, put everything in the basket, paid for it. And then as I started to leave, I noticed a bottle of Tums that I'd failed to pay for. <laughs> the thought immediately hit, oh, well, you can stick that in the bag and go on. Then I thought, Jim, your conscience won't let you do that. And if you do, someday in the judgment day, God's going to say, why'd you cheat Walmart out of $3? You know? <laughs> but those thoughts flip through our mind, don't they? We have to be sure that we are sensitive to the Holy Spirit, that in that day of judgment, as the Lord looks at our heart, what he sees there will please him. Remember David in Psalm 139? said, you know, he knows my rising up and my sitting down. He knows my thoughts before I think them. He knows my words before I speak them. And then he said, to knowledge, this knowledge is too wonderful for me. 
You know, as I think of God's ability to know even the deep caverns and passages in my heart that I can't even always know, wow, that knowledge is too wonderful for me. In that day of judgment, it is the Son of God who will be the judge. John 5.22, let even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son. And then as we continue reading on, and he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, the hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs shall hear his voice and shall come forth those that did good deeds to the resurrection of life, those who committed evil deeds, the resurrection of judgment. That's the Christ who's going to be doing the judging. Acts 10, 42. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly testify, this is the one appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. 2 Timothy 4, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearance in the kingdom, preach the word and so on. 2 Timothy 4, 8. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will allord to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who will love his appearing. In Hebrews 10.30, the Lord will judge his people. Think about that. The one who's going to be sitting on the judgment seat, the throne of judgment, is the very one who went to the cross. And if he is still like he was after his resurrection and ascension, the one who sits on that throne will have nail prints in his hands. He'll have the marks of the wounds on his brow where a crown of thorns was pressed down and an opening in his side where the spear was thrust. It is this one who paid the price for our sins who offers up salvation will be the one called to judge the nations and everyone who has ever walked on this globe. There is one wonderful topic related to the judgment, and that is the Lamb's Book of Life. very important as we consider the judgment day to ponder that. Here's some scripture passages that refer to this book. Philippians 4.3. Indeed, dear comrade, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Revelation 3.5. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, 
and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Revelation chapter 20 pictures the great white throne judgment, which is all those whose names are not in the book of life will someday face. I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. Dead were judged according to things written in the books, according to their deeds. Evidently, there's a journal being kept of each life. Sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. They were judged out of one of them according to their deeds. And then here, kind of interesting language. Death and Hades were shown to the lake of fire. This is the second death the lake of fire, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Let me say to you, there is not any more serious question for you to ask than this. Is my name in the book of life? No more serious question. So we ask, well, how do I get my name in the book of life? How can I know that when I stand before God, I will be where he wants me to be and not in that other group? In scripture, we find the Greek word autobahn, which autobahn is used to describe some kind of a guarantee. And we have in Scripture the teaching that the Autobahn, as far as heaven is concerned, is the Holy Spirit. Acts 18.8 in Corinth, when there were these who believe, it says, and who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as an Autobahn, a pledge. Second Corinthians 5, 5. He who prepared us for this very purpose, who gave to us the Spirit as an Autobahn, a pledge. Hebrews 1, 13 and following. In him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, the Autobahn, who is given as a Autobahn of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. Hebrews 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, the reference to seal there is not like you seal a Kerr Mason jar, <laughs> but it was a practice in that day to have a ring with some kind of a logo on it, which was your signature, so to speak. And if you wrote a letter, you melted some wax at the bottom and pressed that in. That was your seal. It guaranteed that that letter had come from you. 
It also was a way to guarantee possession. It was kind of like the cowboys who brand the cows. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's my herd. I know it's got my brand. That's what this means. If you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, you have God's brand. <laughs> this is mine. This does not belong to the devil or anyone else. It's a guarantee. Heaven is my home because I have the Holy Spirit. I have that seal. If I don't, wow. Dreadful thought, isn't it? How do I get this Holy Spirit? Remember on the day of Pentecost, after preaching, the people were convicted of the fact they had taken with cruel hands and crucified the Son of God. And they cried out, Men and brethren, what do we do? And Peter said, metanoeo, that's a Greek word that means change your mind. Change your mind about who Jesus is. And then be immersed upon his authority for the remission of your sins. And if you do that, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now that's the doron, the gift of the Spirit himself, not the manifestation gifts that we read about a little bit this morning. But you will have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit if you do that. That's important, isn't it? Now, twice in Book of Acts, we find God violated the pattern. Remember in Acts 8, when Philip went to Samaria and began to preach to the half-breed Jews? He was immersing people into Christ. But the Holy Spirit was withheld till Peter and John came down to sanctify it. Otherwise, the Jewish Christians wouldn't have accepted them. And the same thing in the household of Cornelius, when Peter for the first time preached to a congregation of pure Gentiles and the Holy Spirit fell, Peter said, oh, well, then they need to be immersed. Get the water. Let's do it. And so when he got back to Jerusalem, they said, what are you doing preaching to those Gentiles? He said, let me tell you what happened the Holy Spirit. Oh, well, since... Uh, Holy Spirit fell on them. That means we've got to accept them too. So those two times God violated that, and we can see why. But the normal pattern is to hear the gospel, to believe it, to be immersed into Christ, and receive the Holy Spirit. And many times we don't know that's fully happened until the years go by and that develops and grows in our intimacy with God. Now, today you hear people saying, well, pray to receive Jesus. And I realize maybe with children you kind of do something like that. But I have to admit, I, I'm almost grieved at times as I listen to Christian radio or see a Christian TV. And the, oh, you, all right, here's what you do. Pray this prayer after me. Now you've got it. It ends right there. Horse feathers. You know, it's too bad the folks who teach that weren't around on the day of Pentecost to correct Peter. Peter, you shouldn't have told him to be immersed for their mission. Have him pray the sinner's prayer. Too bad they weren't there to correct Philip in Samaria. Philip, you got it wrong. What are you doing immersing all these people? Tell them to pray the sinner's prayer. Too bad they weren't there to correct Ananias when Saul of Tarsus had the encounter with Jesus and went into Damascus and God told Ananias, now go, finish. no, no, he, you don't know who he is. Yes, I do too, and he's going to suffer many things for me. And so I laid hands on him, and then immediately, horrible thing he said, why are you waiting? Get immersed. 
washing away your sins and calling them. Too bad we didn't have folks around to correct Ananias. Ananias, you got it wrong. Should have told them to have him pray the sinner's prayer. Listen, if that's all you've ever done, you're gambling for eternity because there's no promise ever been given. Matter of fact, you don't find any apostle ever doing that. So you may do that with children to kind of prepare them for the future. But there had better be a future where they accept Jesus. We talk about the age of accountability. Even those that sprinkle babies usually have a confirmation. <laughs> I don't know when the age of accountability is. It differs. Frankly, it did with my children. My boys, I, I felt they weren't quite ready till they were around 12 or 13, and they really knew what they were doing. Diana, early on, seven years of age, I realized she knows what's going on. The age of accountability differs with us. But when that time comes, it's time to make a decision, which will be something that will be yours for the rest of your life. Judgment Day is something we like to forget about, like to not talk about, but... Uh, it's coming, isn't it? It's coming. I dreamt that the great judgment morning had dawned and the trumpet had blown. I dreamt that the nations had gathered to judgment before the white throne. Came the throne, came a bright shining angel, and he stood on the land and the sea, and swore with his hand raised to heaven that time was no longer to be. And oh, what a weeping and wailing As the lost were told of their fate They cried for the rocks and the mountains They prayed But their prayer was too late The rich man was there with his money but it had melted and vanished away. A pauper, he stood in the judgment. His debts were too heavy to pay. The great man was there, but his greatness, when death came, was left far behind. The angel had opened the record not a trace of his greatness could find. And then the moral man came to the judgment, but his self-righteous rags would not do. The men who had crucified Jesus had passed off as moral men too. The soul that had put off salvation 
Not tonight, I'll get saved by and by. No time now to think of religion. But at last, he had found time to die. And oh, what a weeping and wailing. As the lost were told of their fate, they cried for the rocks and the mountains. They prayed, but their prayer was too late. This morning, if you do not know for certain that your name in the, is in the book, the Lamb's Book of Life. Do not delay. Do something about it. Through Jesus, amen.